Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast. My name is Patrick Adams, and I want to welcome my guest, Dr. Bob Emiliani. Bob has been a lean practitioner and professor of lean management for over 25 years. Prior to joining academia, he worked in industry for 15 years and had management responsibility in engineering, manufacturing, and supply chain management. He was the first academic to establish a research agenda focused on lean leadership, resulting in numerous publications and varied leadership development workshops. His work on lean leadership and lean has applied has been applied to higher education uh, and is widely recognized. This is actually Bob's second time on the show. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for inviting me back. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Absolutely. And we are now doing video podcasts. So there are some people that are listening into the audio here. There's some people that are watching. For those that uh, are listening into the audio, uh, Bob, actually his background is the Newport Bridge in Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, before we click, before we hit record, we were just chatting a little bit about my time in Newport. When I was in the military, I was stationed in Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, yeah, Bob, how long have you been in Rhode Island? Well, um, since 2008, we bought a house that we anticipated retiring in. And, but we came here full time to live here full time in 2017. But both my wife and I met here because I was in a master's degree program at University of Rhode Island. She was an undergraduate in the business school. So we met here in, in what is it, the early 1980s. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Uh, uh, in, in school, basically. And so, you know, after that, we lived in North Palm Beach, Florida. Then we moved to uh, Connecticut, Central Connecticut. We lived there for 22 years. And anyway, finally got back to the egg here in, uh, in Rhode Island. Oh, I love it. What a beautiful area. I, I loved uh, taking my wife and we would go and, and drive around the, the island of Newport and, or go for walks too, obviously, mm -hmm. and, and uh, see the, the beautiful mansions and just think about the history uh, of that area and mm -hmm. everything that you know has, has happened over the years there. It's just a, such an amazing place to go visit and learn about. Yeah, it is a wonderful place to visit and look around and a lot of places to go. And surprisingly, for such a teeny weeny little state, there's a lot to do here. It's yes. Very bizarre thing. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's a it's a beautiful bridge there behind you. And I always loved going back and forth across it. It reminded me of the Mackinac Bridge, which is here in Michigan, where I'm mm. from, uh, in between the lower peninsula and the upper peninsula. We have the the Mackinac Bridge, which is very similar to the uh, the Newport Bridge. So uh, anyways. Yeah, that just that photo was taken. That's uh, from Jamestown. That's a view from uh, sort of downtown Jamestown looking at the Newport Bridge. Just beautiful. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. I think if I remember right, Jamestown is the old uh, old town, right? Like super old. Is that right? Really old yeah, it, uh, fishing town? Yep, yep. 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 It has a lot of history associated with it as well. It was, uh, well, long story. But yeah, it's the island on the way to Newport that you got yes. to get to Newport. Very cool. Yeah. Well, it's good good to uh, see you again, Bob. Glad to have you back on the show here. Um, so, I you, when when we met last time, you had uh, put a challenge out to the world. I think it was you had said, you know, that, that you have identified 
Lean's number one problem. And it was that most CEOs still prefer classical management. And I remember you put a post out there with an A3. It was a blank A3 and you filled in the the uh, the problem statement, you know, being that most CEO, CEOs still prefer classical management and you and you put it out there as a challenge and said, "Hey, anybody dare to fill this in?" kind of, which I thought was really cool. And you <laughs> you got so you got quite a bit of response from that and some really good discussions I th I think from a lot of different people. Um, but what, one of the things I wanted to, because I want to talk about this, but I want to start out with some people are new to maybe the term classical management. Can you just help help some of the listeners maybe by starting and explaining what is classical management? Sure. Yeah. So simply put, it's just the uh, you can think of it as the old way of doing things, uh, doing things according to uh, traditions instead of doing things according to what people need or what the times that we live in demand. Uh, so it's a leadership man it's a leadership uh, and management practice rooted in preconceptions, whereas what we are all familiar with with TPS or Toyota Way, Lean, is a leadership and management practice rooted in perceptions. Mm. Big difference, huge difference, because preconceptions, you know, if we carry those forward in time, we're just doing things according to tradition. And what did Mr. Ono said? In order to succeed with TPS, you have to abandon. Uh, your preconceptions, yes, which means, and it's not every preconception, but the ones that are holding you back from understanding how to go from batch to flow in material and information, how to respect people, how to improve continuously, how to how to uh, you know think with a kaizen mind and so forth. These are all preconceptions that we have to abandon. But uh, in my work, I've shown that there's many more than just those kinds of preconceptions. So it's a huge distinction. You know, leadership and management practice based on preconceptions versus one that is based on perceptions. And per perceptions, I mean uh, sensory perceptions, to make that clear, sight, hearing, touch, et cetera. That's why we always say the leader has to go to the gamba, understand the gamba. Whereas right. in classical management, the leader's in the office and they don't ever know anything about the gamba. They don't go to the gamba. They don't care about the gamba. They just look at the dashboards and the spreadsheets and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And classical management essentially goes back in time, um, you know, pretty much as far as you want to take it, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the ancient Egyptian, you know, five, six thousand years ago, because you can just imagine the uh, the pharaoh saying to, you know, the engineer and the architect, you guys built a lousy pyramid. I'm blaming you and, you know, mm -hmm. blaming you for problems. Right. Uh, you know, so you still see the same kinds of things going on today. And these things have been mm -hmm. with us for thousands of years. Not not all of them. There's certain ways we think today about things related to economics that are more recent, come from the late Middle Ages and so on. But basically, we're stuck in a world of preconceptions. Sure. Now, and Bob, you mentioned um, uh, TPS a little bit. What what would you say? And you you talked about a couple things that I would consider falling into the this area. But what would you say is the opposite of classical management? It, it, you know, what, what what would you say would be completely different than what you would see in a in a company that's managed yeah. in that way? The op the opposite that I use is progressive management. And mm -hmm. by progressive, I don't mean it in a political term. Because a lot of people get upset about that. No, I mean, progressive is just in, in step with the times that is just current, uh, that is not, you know, in arrears, not behind the times. Sure. Um, so or you could say it's, you know, 
Uh, you know, you got to be careful with the word modern and postmodern because they have different meanings. But mm -hmm. but generally like to describe it as progressive management, something different. You know, the word progressive suggests some kind of progress or improvement mm -hmm. over, you know, in relation to something else, an older way of doing things. So that's, you know, that's the way I define it in my writings. And, and, yeah. And, and, and so what here? What characteristics would you see in a leader that is uh, following more of a progressive management style? They're going to be open-minded. They're going to be questioning their assumptions. They're going to be questioning their preconceptions. They're going to be thinking about, uh, you know, how cognitive biases could impair their thinking. They're also go they're also going to be comfortable getting called out, you know, by somebody on the shop floor saying, "Hey, boss, you said this, but doesn't seem that's happening," or you're not keeping your commitment that you said you would or, you know, something like that. And the boss is like, okay, yeah, you're right. Or maybe the boss says, well, that's not quite right. Let me explain it. But, you know, it's a, it's more of a dialogue on a peer-to-peer uh, -peer level because when I say peer-to-peer -peer level, because everybody knows the boss is the boss. You, know, you don't need me to come into the room and say, I'm the boss. You know, everybody knows it. Right. So, so you can just have conversations more on a, a a, a team member to team member. We all work for this company. Yeah, I'm the boss. Everybody knows it. Don't need to repeat it and so forth. We can just have a conversation about, you know, the good things we're doing, the things we need to improve, the, the bad things that happen, and that we need to uh, understand what caused them and work to improve. And just have a more of a, a dialogue rather than, you know, debating things or having a superior subordinate flavor to all conversations. Absolutely. Which, which is a such, real, it's a real turnoff. It is. It's, it's, it's such, that's such an important point that you make there that I, I don't think leaders understand that, that, well, not, I can't say all leaders, uh, but right. there are many leaders out there that are in positions and they already have the authority. They've just by having that position, they already have that. They don't, it, it, so, you know, to, to your point, I mean, coming into to the room or into a work area and um, just working with people, not not necessarily, you know, uh, being the boss or, you know, talking in a way that you're the boss. I mean, that doesn't, that just doesn't get, get you as far. Yeah, just as working it together. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Teamwork. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, know, Bob, like, let's get, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's like on a football team, everybody knows who the quarterback is, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you still got to to win a game. You got to function as a team. That's right. Agree. 100%. So let's get back to what we were talking about with the the A3 uh, yeah. that, you, that you put together, kind of challenging lean practitioners. Um, and again, I, I guess we have to, to preface this a little bit because uh, some of our listeners may not know what an A3 is. Uh, so I guess one more uh, conversation before we get into the, the uh, results or the, the discussions yeah. that have happened around this challenge. Um, can you explain to our listeners maybe what is an A3, a little bit of background around sure. A3s and maybe even why we call it an A3, that, that type of thing? Sure. So Toyota uh, quality personnel uh, in the late 1970s developed the A3 as a way to, uh, or created the A3 as a way to develop and improve the capabilities of the managers in non-production areas. Because in production areas, the managers there were familiar with Kaizen and, and total quality control and you know quality circles and so forth. But the non-production area managers uh, weren't. And so to, to engage them in problem solving, to engage them in improvement in a way similar to what's going on on the Genba, 
um, they created this you know, A3, which is, of course, the size of the sheet of the paper. It's uh, 11 by 17 uh, inches. And it's, you know, it has all the things you need to comprehend a problem. The, the, the problem statement shows the analysis, shows the corrective action, shows the action plan, uh, all on one sheet, one sheet of paper. And, and that forms a dialogue between the, the, the manager and their, their subordinate. And, and the, the framing initially of this A3 report was for managerial use, you know, for mm -hmm. the managers to engage them in problem solving. Uh, but subsequently, you see the, the use of this in, uh, you know, a manager might, might engage a uh, direct report who's not in a managerial role in terms of mentoring them for, for problem solving. Um, but I think one of the, um, I, I don't know what you, what you see out there, Patrick, but I see a lot of sort of A3s delegated to people in non-managerial roles to improve their mm -hmm. skills, but it's not happening in the management uh, yes. uh, areas that, that where it should be and where this thing was originally designed to address. And yeah, people who are not managerial roles can be better problem solvers, you know, by learning the A3 process and, you know, thinking through the problem and so forth. But you still have a lot of these problems going on in the workplace that are owned by the managers. And of course, mm -hmm. they're not using A3s in many cases, not all yep. cases, maybe most cases. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see the same thing. A lot of times what I see is uh, managers uh, kind of delegating that responsibility down and then and then scheduling some kind of a uh, report out, you know, where people have to come and report out on what, what the A3 is, what's going on with the A3. And it becomes just more of a kind of a show and tell, but not really a whole lot of catch ball happening or you know and again yeah. it's, it's at one level and not necessarily at the the, the proper yeah. level yeah not only that when you do it in that in that way where you have it's a report out and so forth uh these report outs at least some some that some that i have been associated with certainly not all mm -hmm. but they kind of become political because it'll show something on the a3 report as a root cause or corrective action that makes another manager look bad mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they're That's like they're like, I want you to change that A3. We saw this a lot with root cause analysis. I want you to change that root cause analysis to, you know. Yes. And, and you know, you're a subordinate and the boss is telling you to change it. And so you do it. And so yep. there's that there's that dynamic going on with these things as well. Because the truth is in the classically managed business, uh, the truth is not welcome. Mm -hmm. So true. Yeah. And, and uh, another thing that I saw, too, was... Uh, upper management would set up uh, an A3 review meeting before the report out, you know, so then <laughs> make some adjustments in between and yeah. make sure that it's going to, you know, that I know what's coming, you know, when we report out to the rest of the group and uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, definitely a lot of they don't issues. like, cause they don't like surprises and, uh, mm -hmm. but for not, for being a group of people that don't like surprises, they sure get a lot of surprises. <laughs> Very true. Um, okay, so now let's dive into the investigation. Uh, so I'm guessing when you did that, you probably got a lot of feedback information coming back to you, you know, maybe individuals that filled out the, the A3 report and sent it back. I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what well, the results that came out of that were. Yeah, let me give you the setup. So I posted okay. on LinkedIn a, a, power, uh, a um, PDF file, eight pages that basically says, you know, everybody loves uh, power, uh, excuse me, loves A3. Um, you know, reports, but um, 
you know, when lean people get together, mostly what they do is talk about their, their problems and they complain about things all the time. And they end up selling lots of war stories about what happened at this company or that company. And yet they're trained in all these various lean tools and methods and a way of thinking and so forth. And, uh, but yet these don't come to bear for, for, you know, people's lean problems. Right. So, so I posted an A3 report that said, uh, okay, you know, the improvement theme is to get, uh, to get all CEOs, to, to have all CEOs, uh, excuse me, let me rephrase it, get more CEOs to go all in with lean management. Yes. That was the improvement theme. And then there was some words for the background, the current state, the negative impact on stakeholders. And then the, the problem statement was most CEOs still prefer classical management. And so what ended up happening uh, was, yeah, there was a lot of um, dialogue back and forth in, on LinkedIn on this, but a lot of it amounted to criticism of, of, the, of setting up the problem statement. Mm. It was too many words. It was too this. It was too that. It should have been oh. handwritten and so <laughs> forth. And it was like, and so what was remarkable was the folks mainly missed the point of that post, which was, we need to stop complaining. We need to recognize our problems, be, you know, have an awareness of them, problem recognition, mm -hmm. and move forward to try and solve our problems using the thinking and methods and tools that we know how to use. And uh, not one person came back with uh, with an A3 report. Not really? That, nope, not one. Wow. Made an attempt, as far as I know. They, some people might have printed it out and attempted it themselves. Sure. But the... But the um, you know, the areas that you fill in, root cause analysis, practical countermeasures, the future state goals and targets, plan, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the follow-up, et cetera. None of that, uh, none of that was filled in on okay. the free report. And I think it, it also, you know, I think the feedback in, in, in focusing the criticism on the fact that, oh, there's too many words <laughs> in the current state or whatever, and it's not mm -hmm. handwritten, um, shows you just uh, a certain kind of dogmatism that that pervades this world mm. that if it's not done exactly the toyota way and you know i i didn't do it by hand so it's more legible i did and i didn't do it by hand to make make the problem a little bit more you know vivid sure um but uh you know but that's the kind of feedback you get and i think it also speaks to uh you know the other larger problem of we're not focusing on the problems at hand. We're focusing on it's not handwritten. It's too many yeah. words. You know, I mean, right. come on. So anyway, so that was the the outcome of that. Yeah. Um, so maybe uh, one of our listeners that's listening today, maybe they'll be the first one to print that out. I know it's right on your LinkedIn, right? It's on your yeah. You have it posted as a, a post. So maybe one of our listeners will print it out and fill it out and be the first one to try and complete the A3. Please, please do. Um, <laughs> you, you know, recently I did, uh, related to that, I did a, um, a little webinar. It was live. I didn't record it. Because uh, years ago, I created a, a method to analyze business failures. Yes. It could be a product failure or a company failure. Um, and I, uh, in, 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 I created this years ago because I was in a business school and they always teach case studies and their success stories and they ignore the failures that ex show up every day in the Wall Street Journal. And I said, how can you learn if you don't, if you just focus on success and ignore the failure? So I came up right. with a failure analysis method and uh, you taught a course in that for more than a decade. 
And uh, one of the assignments I would give to students is, you know, packet of information about lean transformation not going well. Mm. It was uh, one type of failure. Uh, and another one was the lean movement itself as kind of a, a failure because I think, uh, you know, people who've been around this for 30 years are kind of looking at it going, you know, why aren't we more successful Sure. as, as a movement? Uh, and so my students, you know, use that failure analysis uh, method that I developed and applied it to those those kinds of cases. And, um, uh, you know, uh, it, the, some of the main focus areas were things that you don't normally see in a failure analysis, which was leaders' beliefs and untested assumptions, cognitive biases, illogical thinking. Mm -hmm. Usually failures tend to be of a, of a very technical nature and they don't include the human decision making that uh, that goes on with that. And so anyway, so that webinar was very well received because That's we got great. into details of, of lean transformation failure and lean movement uh, difficulties failure. Sure. Hey everyone, this is Patrick. So sorry to interrupt this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast, but I felt it necessary to take a quick moment and personally invite you to the Lean Solutions Summit on October 2nd to the 4th this fall, 2023. The theme of this year's global summit is leadership, people, purpose, passion. You do not want to miss this amazing experience with the top process improvement experts from your industry. No matter what industry you're working in, this summit has value for you. The summit offers four different industry tracks to include healthcare, corporate, higher education and nonprofit, and finally, government. Our opening keynote is Chris McChesney, the lead author of the number one Wall Street Journal best-selling business book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. The Op Sisters, Kathy Miller and Shannon Carrolls, the authors of Steel Toes and Stilettos will be joining us as well as yours truly and over 20 other speakers. The final day of the summit is full of workshops and there are limited seats for a tour of Menlo Innovations with Richard Sheridan and Zingerman's Mail Order with Dr. Jeff Liker, author of The Toyota Way. Early bird pricing is now available at Findling Solutions forward slash summit dash 2023 or you can check the show notes for a link now back to the show so based on the, the that study uh and you know some of the the linkedin discussions around the a3 challenge um do you have any thoughts uh you know of of uh what the root cause results would be you know uh, given the the problem of most ceos preferring classical management yeah well, there's different ways of looking at it. I mean, one of the reasons why they prefer classical management is because it maximizes leaders' rights and privileges. Mm. You know, simply put, yeah. uh, you know, you know what I said earlier. You know, in, in lean world, the leader and the person on the shop floor talk as people, you know, not as superior subordinates and so forth. And that's un very unappealing to the classical management world because they want to come into the room. I'm the boss with their entourage or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, lean upsets their rights and privileges. They still have plenty of rights and privileges with lean. Sure. It just doesn't maximize them as they, it does in the way of classical management. But the other thing we learned from looking at the, the, the failure analyses in particular, because you see just loads of poor decision making. Now, this is not all the, you know, the fault of leaders because they've got so much going on. Mm -hmm. That it's hard to think clearly, and leaders like to try to simplify things. 
right so that so that they can make the problem more actionable and real you know usually direct people to go do this or that in the classical management way and so what you find is is that their their thinking skills are poor uh they you know they're very confident about analysis and logical thinking and decision making and these Failure cases that we looked at in, in my course are more than 60 of them over you know 15 year period. Consistently, the things that our leaders most that they're most confident about, analysis, logical thinking, decision making, are the things they should be least confident about. Mm. Their their ability to process information is hugely error prone. Mm-hmm. And and again, it's you know, it's good people trying to do good things, right? Generally, but they're just unaware of this. Um, to my knowledge, there is no course in any business school, the school that focuses in, and it just doesn't need to be restricted to business school, that teaches failures, as my course did, as well as teaching leaders what are the, um, how beliefs and untested assumptions converge into decision making along with cognitive biases and illogical thinking. Right to create major problems such as the Boeing 737 MAX, the Wells Fargo fraud. I don't know, you know, there's, as I said, there's 60 or more of these things, but mm-hmm. we, we looked at these big, big failures. So big room, you know, big opportunity for improvement, but in classical management, that's not something that they're concerned about. Sure. Yeah, I, I hear you for sure. The the uh, I, I think uh, Mark Graben's uh, newest podcast that he just put out with uh, um, your, my favorite mistake. I don't know if you've heard listened to any of yep. those. I think that's a you know it's a great just a great way to promote the the importance of uh, understanding that it's okay to make mistakes. You know, as long as we're reflecting and learning and growing through those that failures are good. They're a good thing. It's okay uh, to, to, and unfortunately, you know, there's many leaders that just will not, they won't stand for mistakes. They don't want failure. They only want, you know, tell me how, how we're going to win. Tell me uh, what, how we're going to succeed. Only show me green, no red, you know, and that's not reality. Well, we have the same issue in lean world because for years I've been pushing on some of the major lean organizations to get with it in terms of understanding the causes of lean transformation, failure, and so forth. And they've just completely ignored it. They're not interested in going there either. Yeah. Which, which unfortunately tells you that, you know, um, that there is, you know, classical management has essentially in, invaded the thinking of the lean movement yeah. as well, because people, are, you know, there's still a stigma associated with lean transformation failure. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, uh, it made me think while you're talking to in, in your book, uh, um, you talk about leaders being promoted for the wrong reasons. And, uh, you know, I was I was actually part of an organization. It, uh, I, I talk about it in my book, but um, the company Continuous Appearance, where uh, the people that could network the best, that dressed the best, that you know were accepted because they, you know, whatever, they, you know, they 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 uh, had the right look to them, and the, they they networked in the right way, and they were the ones that were promoted. And then you got these guys and gals that are, you know, busting their butts out on the production floor, uh, doing all the right things, coaching, solving problems, um, not in the conference room, not networking. 
um, and they're the ones that are getting passed over. Yep. Um, that's a serious problem for so many organizations. Talk to us a little bit about that, this issue. Been, been that way for thousands of years. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I want people to understand is how far back in time this goes mm -hmm. and, and how over the centuries, what I call the institution of leadership and system of profound privilege have iteratively made it a lot harder to undo this, this, this kind of problem that you just stated. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the promotion and reward system is, um, is uh, related to who is, who is going, who has the best ability and commitment to uphold the institution of leadership and system of profound privilege. Who's going to who is going to um, transfer those traditions to the next generation most effectively with greatest mm -hmm. commitment? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be um, me who questions things? No. <laughs> or is it going to be somebody else who accepts those things? Right. And so it's going to be somebody who accepts those things. That's right. And, uh, and that's typically what you see. And occasionally you see the oddball like me get promoted and so forth. But at some point you run into problems in your peer group at whatever level you happen to be in in your company. Mm -hmm. and they don't think like you do and so forth. So, uh, you know, eventually uh, the most the ninety nine point nine percent chance is you're out. Point one percent chance is you're now the CEO, but not not usually. Yes. And so. Exactly. So it really is important for people to understand what is this institutional leadership, the system of profound privilege, how long it's been going on, you know, why it exists. I mean, I'll tell you, fundamentally, people don't understand uh, what's the phrasing I've been using. They don't, they don't understand the intent and purpose of leadership. Their, their understanding of it is either incomplete or incorrect. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the intent and purpose of leadership is to perpetuate the status quo. Mm. And when you understand it that way, then you understand that, you know, that phrase from um, Jean-Baptiste Carr, the more things change, the more they stay the same. He said that mm -hmm. in 1848. And everybody has that observation that, yeah, a lot of stuff has changed, the technology and so forth, but other things stay the same. Yeah. And, you, and what usually stays the same is the, the social system. The, the technology changes, but the social, um, the social structure, social system, et cetera, pecking order, uh, stays the same. Exactly. And then now, now you're bringing me to, in my mind, I'm going to the red beat experiment and I'm thinking about, you know, the system being broken and no matter how hard we work, if the system is broken, you're not going to be successful. Right. Uh, anyways. Um, okay. So solutions, how do we solve this? <laughs> well, you know, I think of, I obviously think about this a lot and it comes out in the form of these books that I write because I, you know, I want to get it out in writing these ideas and the, the logic and so on. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, people ask me, you know, what's the answer? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm one person thinking through this stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and so I write the book so that other people can get on my wavelength and think as well. And, you know, uh, hopefully what ends up happening someday is we have more of a, a crowdsourcing of, of ideas on, on, on what to do about this. Yeah. Um, the other, uh, the other possibility is just as time goes by, things will change. Mm -hmm. Um, how, but how much time must go by for things to change in a manner that you and I think about, 
yeah. it could be um, it could be five years, mm-hmm. could be twenty five years, could be two hundred and fifty years, could be twenty five hundred years. Mm. Don't know. Yep. Yep. Well, we're we're two guys. You're not one. We're two here, <laughs> and we're calling we're True calling enough. all lean practitioners, all leaders that are out there listening in to to get on board here, and and uh, we're looking to. Uh, have you read the Tipping Point, Bob? Oh, by um, what was the author's name? Yes, years ago though, right? Yeah, um, the I Tipping mean, Point by Malcolm Mal- Gladwell. Yeah, yeah, I, yes. yeah. It was yeah, decades. A yes, while ago, yes, that's what we need. We need the tip. We need to get to the tipping points. We got to pull together the the, the right yeah. cohort. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I also think we need to be on the same wavelength. And and I, yes. I'm sorry if it sounds self-serving. That's not the intent. But my goal as a you know I'm a I'm a teacher. I'm a professor. I'm an educator. I want to learn myself. I want to transmit my learnings. This comes across in you know blog posts that are free and journal uh, journal articles that. I give away to people, you know, the publishers charge money for them. Mm-hmm. And then the books, yeah, they cost some money, but I'm trying to advance the knowledge, move us past this. We have, most of the lean communities uh, has, still has the 1980s opinion or 1970s opinion. The leaders don't like lean because they fear change or, um, uh, you know, all the other kind of surface level things. And yeah. my, my work is, is leapfrogging past all of that way of thinking about stuff we got to get on a, a different wavelength about you know what what the what the original problem is which is why c- most ceos are more interested or s- prefer classical classical management if we hope mm-hmm. to you know make some progress here sure um do you do you have uh any uh or are are there any studies out there or is there any data around ceos that manage you know, from a classical standpoint versus CEOs that are more progressive, you know, company-wise, financially, uh, you know, uh, metric-wise, KPIs. I mean, is there proof? Not, there? Well, there, is, there isn't the, the kind of academic study that I'm familiar with that would show mm-hmm. that. Sure. Um, however, we have, you know, lots of people like yourself and Art Byrne and George Koenigsegger and Jim Womack and all these Michael Ballet, all these folks you can think of that are out there engaging in companies all the time. Mm-hmm. We all see the same kind of things, yep. which is the very rare, you know, progressive lean leader and the usual, you know, classical management leader. And uh, so, you know, on the one hand, you know, to be technically accurate, we would say anecdotally, it looks like, you know, 99% of the leaders are classical management. But at some point with with 30, you know, approaching 40 years of experience with lean, you know, if you take Jim Womack and others who've been around the longest, uh, or some of the ex-Toyota guys, you know, who were Toy- uh, Ono's students who are still alive and in their late 70s, um, you'd hear the same thing. I mean, so maybe it's not so anecdotal. Maybe when we throw out some numbers like 95 or 99%, we're, we're, we're a lot closer to, you know, to the truth or, or maybe right on the truth. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think uh, 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 there are so many benefits um, that can be gained by leading uh, in the way that that we're talking about. I mean, you know, the 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 the, fi- the, the financials, the the cost savings, all those things, the KPIs, they they definitely will come. But but the other 
benefits that come from managing from that perspective are just, uh, they're astronomical. But I mean, I think we can go back and look at, you know, uh, Toyota being, you know, the the example that we all talk about. Um, But you can look at Toyota's financial um, success in comparison to, you know, some of the other automakers back with you know, utilizing less people and, um, you know, what they were able to do. I mean, there's definitely uh, proof out there for the, the type of uh, management practices that we're talking about. So, I, you know, I, I don't think that that, but, you know, to your point, the, the 95 to what I mean, there's a, there's a very high failure rate. So if we can focus on the failures and figure out, okay, what's the root cause and how can we get away from that? The companies that we find that are having success, the the three to four or five percent that are having success, have clearly identified those root causes, and they're they're battling against those root causes by changing the culture, by changing the leadership styles, by changing the way that they do business, and they are finding success, and they are having the the financial results that companies like you know Toyota had. So yep, and they're uh, have, making making a very good situation for the people that work there. Absolutely. Yeah. People, people who work in these kind of yeah, people who work in these kind of businesses love it. Unfortunately, it does not seem it, you know, it gets upset by changes in ownership of the company and changes in leadership. Yeah. And when that happens, they look for other places like where they were and they they very much struggle to find that beautiful existence that they once had. So yes. You know, yes, we have more do. work to do. This is not an impossible problem to no. you know, to um it's, it's not like, uh, uh, you know, some impossible mathematical problem that we can never figure out. But it is a very knotty problem. You've heard maybe of the Gordian knot, you know, you can't figure mm-hmm. out how, where to, how to undo this knot. And as I said, there's been, you know, thousands of years of iterative changes to the, the institution leadership and system of profound privilege to make it hard to undo. Yes, agreed. So, and there's and we've only we've only scratched the surface here too, obviously, which you know that. Um, but just a you know a couple things that we talked about today. There's so much more that goes into this, and obviously we could talk about this all day. But one of the things I wanted to ask you before we close up today, Bob, is uh, books. Like obviously, I, I love all the books that you put out there. We talked a little bit about them already uh, during the episode today, but. I'm curious to know, do you have any new books in the future? Anything that you're working on right now that uh, we can get a little inside uh, peek on? Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I continue to, to you know, engage people and study things and so on. And so early last month, I came out with a book called The Changed Perspective, an Essential Guide for Emerging Leaders that dives deep into the preconceptions that limit or prevent change. And it, 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 um, challenges the view that better leadership is brought about simply by changing leadership behaviors. I mean, I think it basically destroys that whole notion that you can do that. Um, the, the sequence that I write about is um, preconceptions, that those inform beliefs, those beliefs inform behaviors, the behaviors inform competencies. And most training just starts at behaviors to competencies. But what's in front of that is be- what's in front of behaviors is beliefs and what's in front of beliefs is preconceptions. Mm-hmm. So preconceptions are what guide leaders thinking and actions, and they, they get themselves in a lot of difficult situations, you know, like the 737 Max, Wells Fargo, whatever, you know, problem you could think of. And, uh, and leaders kind of accept, you know, stuff's going to happen when they sh- I shouldn't. Uh, and, and basically, how do we make these bad situations less common? Because they have a tremendous fallout, you know. 
Um, sure. In the case of 737 Max, people died. Suppliers were on life support because the, the production lines dried up for the 737 Max. Employees got laid off. You know, there's huge, huge impacts uh, to these problems. And I targeted emerging leaders because basically I want some of these young people to understand what's going on at an earlier age. Will that result in changes down the road? Who knows? Again, the institution of leadership and system of profound privilege is, you know, not very happy with po folks who think differently. Sure. But um, in a week or two, I, I'll be coming out with a book called The Workmanship of Leaders. And this is really weird that there's like back-to-back -back books because- Yeah, that's exciting. You know, yeah, the other one I wrote in November, December timeframe, and it came out in early January. This one I basically wrote over a two-week period in January. And um, usually there's three to six months between books, but anyhow. Yeah. Um, but this is the workmanship of leaders, systems, framework, frameworks, and information processing. And so that's challenging the traditional view of leadership as a profession and rethinks leadership in terms of workmanship, which mm. we don't usually think of leadership as workmanship. And so, um, you know, when you think about it, leadership has been studied and written about for, you know, 100 years, um, about 100 years now. And uh, the results is a lot of fluff, you know, not too much substance. And so I said this earlier that the, I think that's because the fundamental understanding of leadership, leaders, excuse me, and their purpose is incomplete and inc or incorrect. Mm. Um, so yeah. basically, this is an analysis of what the meaning of workmanship is uh, and workmanlike diligence is in the context of, uh, of systems, frameworks, and information processing. So the systems, frameworks, and information processing that leaders you know, are engaged with. Very interesting. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm, uh, it's out for review now. So I've, okay. I, don't know, I don't know if it's any good. You know, one of the things when you write so many books is you start to wonder... <laughs> Um, you just start. You just start to wonder about: um, Are you still producing good stuff, or are you just going one too many? You know, it's kind of like the Tom Brady of uh, books in this genre. You know, should you have stopped with the prior <laughs> one? Are you doing one more that you shouldn't be doing? Well, I think you can. I think you can go to your reviews, and you know, uh, I think you're still getting some pretty good reviews on your books, and I, I see a lot of, you know, people uh, grabbing. Uh, little quotes out of your books and things a lot so it's you know definitely still relevant and people are loving it so i would say keep going you know well what we'll, we'll see i don't know you know <laughs> every time well, i say i think i'm done and i've run out of ideas that usually lasts about uh well not long you know we yeah to, somebody asked me about writer's block recently and i said well i don't get that if i do it's basically overnight sure sure it's just yeah not, I'm I'm uh, I'm ready to to get started on another one. I'm I'd I'd love to do a book on the appearance of leadership. Uh, you know, just kind of a, a spinoff of my other one, but um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Bob, if someone wants to grab those books, where should they go to to uh, to find them? They're on Amazon. Amazon. You know, okay. Yeah, I should have mentioned earlier the failure analysis method that I talked about. That's yeah. In the, that's in the book Wheel of Fortune. Yes. Uh, so that's embedded in that book. Uh, if anybody's interested in understanding that method and what it can do, that method, by the way, is also it's not just a failure analysis method. It's an improvement method. It's an and it's a leadership development method as well. Yes, it's much more. It's much broader than just failure analysis. So. 
Perfect. Well, we'll throw a okay. link to uh, to your books or, or to your author page in uh, in the, the show notes. That way people can go there and they can see the list Great. of all your books that you have. Um, you. And then it, is there anywhere else that people, uh, if they want to get a hold of you, if they have a question or want to send yeah, it they to could, you? They can just, uh, you know, I'm easy to contact through my website, bobemiliani.com or direct message me through LinkedIn. Yep. Perfect. Happy well, to talk we'll to anybody at any time. All right. We'll throw that in the show notes as well. Bob, as, as always, it's it's great to have you on the show and and uh, love chatting with you. I, I think you and I could probably talk for forever on these types of topics. Uh, just love, you know, your your take on things and and uh, appreciate your willingness to share and, and conversate on out on uh, social media and, and on the podcast. So thank you. Well, thank and thank you. It's been a pleasure and uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.